Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Father, thank you. Um, Thank you for the gifts you give us as a community. But thank you for the gift of your Word. Thank you for the gift of your Spirit. And this morning we submit uh, to your Word. Um, We trust that your Spirit is going to open our ears and our hearts uh, we posture in ourselves in a, um, in a position of receptivity. I want to pray that you would help Alex to be faithful to your word. And I pray, Father God, that in Jesus' name we'd be able to see you clearer. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Um, so, yeah, as Nick just said, I recently had a baby. Um, feels so weird to say. Um, she is seven weeks old and... As uh, it's Advent season, so um, speaking of uh, holiday controversies, uh, some of you are like, no Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving people, no Christmas music before Thanksgiving people, some of you guys are day after Thanksgiving people, some of you guys are December 1st people, my grandma's December 24th person, (laughs) and the tree is down by the 26th. So everyone has kind of their their thing. Um, I was singing recently, just in my head, um, Silent Night, and... Uh, I just laughed and laughed because having a new baby, I was like, no, that's, <laughs> that's not a thing. Um, so my nights are not very silent, and I'm more anxious today than I usually am because I am more sleep-deprived than I've ever been. Um, but here we go. We're going to talk about our sermon series. It's called The Songs of Christmas, uh, and we're exploring four songs Um, that are focused around the birth of Christ and uh, in this season of Advent. So I didn't grow up with Advent. I didn't grow up going to church until um, the fifth grade. And then in the fifth grade, we didn't really talk about Advent. Um, But so if you're like me and you're like, what's this Advent thing? Uh, We talked out in pre-gathering prayer about Advent calendars and all that good stuff. I have a Dolly Parton advent calendar um, that today I was like, oh my gosh, I can get it out soon. This is so exciting. Um, But, uh, oh, just so you know, Dolly Parton's like a day after Thanksgiving Christmas tree person, but she has a Christmas tree in every room of her house. And she keeps it up until January 19th, which is her birthday. Um, So anyways, fun fact. Um, So Advent is uh, both a time of reflection and expectation. Um, One of the things we get to reflect on in this season is the reality that the Lord has promised a means of salvation to us. And the fulfillment of that promise finds itself initiated in the birth of Christ. It's also a season of expectation. Christ has come, but we get the ultimate joy and hopeful expectation that he will come again. And his kingdom will be permanent. His rule and reign will be everlasting. And so that's what we are kind of living in that. I don't even want to call it tension because it's a beautiful thing. Um, this uh, reflection and expectation. 
Okay, it's a beautiful season that we get to live in. Um, this is because the birth of Christ is a turning point in Scripture. God's ancient promises are reaffirmed in Christ, and his arrival is met with a symphony of expectation and praise. And those are the songs of Advent, that symphony that, um, uh, that Zachariah sings, he's part of, he worships the Lord in both expectation and reflection. Mary does the same thing, the angels do the same thing, and then finally Simeon as well. So those are the four songs we're gonna cover. I wanna talk a little bit about the importance of song. So. Um, I am a karaoke fan. I love karaoke. If you guys want another fun fact, um, karaoke is Japanese for empty orchestra. So kara is empty. Karate is empty hand. That's where you have your empty hand combat. Um, oke is orchestra, so it means empty orchestra. Um, if you doubt how... Uh, important songs are to people in terms of reflecting the posture of our heart, go to a karaoke bar, <laughs> okay? You can, based on the person's song, you can tell what's going on in their lives, okay? 100%, you've got, you're like, I get your vibe right now. I know what's happening. Um, we are a people who, who find songs so incredibly important. Because like I said, um, songs reflect the posture of our heart, but they also help us reposture our heart. It's an incredible thing that song does for us. Um, as, as people across all cultures, we sing to celebrate, we sing to honor, fight, protest. Um, we sing to, like I said, express our current heart condition, and we sing to uh, reorient our heart condition. Um, when I was a kid, I was such a cool kid, um, if you could believe it. Uh, but for me, the, I had this theme song, John Mellencamp's Jack and Diane, okay? That's how cool I was as a child. Um, but specifically to me, it was the lyric, you're never gonna guess, um, it was the lyric, Oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. So I was a cool kid, right? Um, and I would just, ever, just in my life, just sing that in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. Um, but for me, I, I was, I mean, my dad passed when I was nine. And then I was sent to live with my aunt and uncle. My whole life was uprooted, and that to me was like, yep, this is, this is my reality, life just goes on. Um, and I remember, so that was the posture of my heart for so long, and then I remember in college when God broke through, and as I was on a ministry trip to an orphanage that serves severely uh, disabled men and women, and I was sitting there in the uh, cafeteria helping this this woman eat her lunch, nonverbal, couldn't use her arms and legs, um, and I'm feeding this porridge to her, and that song pops into my head. And the Lord used that moment to reposture my heart. 
the song changed from, oh yeah, life goes on, to, oh my gosh, life goes on even when it's not thrilling. Like that's the grace of God, that he's, he's with us long after the thrill of living is gone. And then God took it a step further. He added a verse to the song and he said, the good things in life will fade away. The great things will persist into eternity. That's my promise to you. And so my song began to change. Um, So song is incredibly important to us. These four songs are monuments for us, okay? Um, They mark the incredible moment where God broke into our natural world, our history. And they serve to posture our hearts to expect that God fulfills his promises and Christ will come again. Um, So I just, yeah, I want to take a moment, Lord, and thank you for that reality. That you are God who fulfills his promises and that we have a hopeful anticipation of seeing our Savior face to face when he establishes his permanent rule. Amen. So I get the privilege of opening with Zachariah's song. Um, I do consider this a privilege. Some people, when they found out that I was preaching, were like, you just had a baby, slow your roll. And I was like, no, like this is, I have felt so convicted as I've been um, just interacting with this story. I don't really pay attention to Zechariah that much. Um, I'm like, John the Baptist is cool, but like, you know, he's also weird. Um, But I consider it, like, as I've been processing it and interacting with the text, it has honestly been life-changing. And I consider it a privilege to be gifted this opportunity. Um, so Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, it says they're advanced in, uh, in age. Some people say they're in their 60s. They're barren, okay? I, I know. So I was, as I was preparing, I was like, yeah, so these really old people. And then I was like, I shouldn't say that. No, no, no. They're only 60. They're only 60. Um, only 60. They've got a lot of life left in them. Um, yep, in the name of the Lord. Okay. They long, long prayed for a child, okay? And I imagine at 60, they were like, yeah, that's not going to happen for us. Um, I would imagine they probably prayed for decades, and then they hit a certain point. You know, maybe they prayed every day, and then it went to a couple days, and then once a week, and then eventually they forgot that they, that's something they even prayed for. Um, and uh, they gave up hope this prayer would be answered. A year before Christ was born, though, Zachariah, he was a priest, and he had this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go into the holy place in the temple and burn incense. And this act of burning the incense, it's supposed to represent the idea that our prayers Uh, become pleasing to God. And so I can imagine this guy, his whole community, I mean, barrenness is a sign in that community of like, what, God's judgment on you? What did you do wrong? Um, They know that there's some lack in his life as they perceive it, but they watch this priest walk into the holy place and they watch him participate in an act that pronounces, God hears our prayers. 
And so he goes in there, and of course, this is something that he would do. This is something that I think most of us would do. When he is greeted by the angel Gabriel, who says, God has heard your prayers. He is going to give you a son. He's like, no, he's not. That is how? That is not possible. My wife is old, okay? That's not happening. Um, And... What he, what he does, well, what the angel does next is um, he kind of fills it in. He says, you're going to have a son, not just any child. You're going to have a son. His name is going to be John. He's going to have this world-altering ministry, and he's going to prepare the way for the Savior. And Zachariah is like, I don't think so. And his, his doubt is met with some rebuke, and the angel from that moment until his son is born, renders him mute. And so Zachariah leaves the temple and he's supposed to give this benediction to his community and he can't. So he goes home and we find out that um, when we fast forward, Elizabeth conceives the child. As we know, this child is in fact a son and his birth showed the whole neighborhood that God answers prayer. So on the eighth day, it was time to circumcise John and name him. Sounds like an interesting party. Um, and we're going to pick up there, Luke 1, 59 to 80. So on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? for the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. All right, so I have two points. The first one is that Zachariah's moment of praise reminds us that we can posture our hearts to both celebrate God's graciousness and shout God's faithfulness in all seasons. Okay, so I'll just say that again. Zachariah's moment of praise reminds us 
that we can posture our hearts to celebrate God's faithfulness and shout, sorry, celebrate God's graciousness and shout God's faithfulness in all seasons. So I want to talk about celebrating God's graciousness first. Uh, in the story of Zechariah, we see lifelong faith um, wrestling with unanswered prayers. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, Zechariah is going into the holy place in the temple, and he is participating in the act of burning incense. And what, what that looks like outwardly to everyone else is we see a man still celebrating God's grace and presence in his life, even in the midst of his own pain. Okay. Um, like I said, barrenness in that culture, it carried a lot of social stigma. Uh, again, we were, t- we were, t- I mean, this is, Michaela's thing is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, there's lots of controversial topics when you're around with family. And for married couples who are childless, the number one is, when are you going to have kids? Uh, for single people, it's, oh, so when are you going to get married? Are you dating anybody? What's going on there? Um, my cousin David was so annoyed by how often his mom asked him when he was going to get married. He said, she said, it's, I mean, I, maybe you're, ne- you're never going to get married. Maybe you're gay. I don't know. And he was like, okay, fine, mom, I'm gay. And she's like, <gasps> and he's like, I only said that so you would stop asking me. <laughs> um, my, my Aunt Yvonne, that's his mom, she's notorious for uncomfortable family conversations. Um, she's the kind of person you'll, you'll see her and she's like, oh, hi, you look so good. Your weight has nothing to do with it. And you're like, <clears throat> thank you. <laughs> thank you, Aunt Yvonne. Um, so I, I think we can, we can relate. There are topics uh, with a lot of kind of social stigma. I remember when I told my aunt, different aunt, I have a lot of aunts that say unfortunate things. Um, I told one of my aunts that I was dating Patrick. She said, in all earnestness, she said, you found somebody who wants to date you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not bringing him around for a while, though. (laughs) He's busy. Um, So Zachariah is participating in this act despite his pain, in the midst of his pain. Uh, At the same time, though, um, while he's assuming a posture that proclaims that to everyone that the Lord hears our prayers, um, it is the opposite of what he's felt for decades, okay? Um, but I, want, I just want to take a moment to say this isn't just blind obligation. This is a posture of faith in who the Lord is and what he has said. It's also a testament uh, for, it's a discipline that Zachariah's t- uh, taking part in, but it's also a testament to his community. The community watching him participate in this act knowing that there's a prayer in his life that he's prayed for decades that he's never seen come to fruition. Watching him participate in an act that says, the Lord hears our prayers, they're acceptable to him. So here's the thing, praising God in the midst of pain isn't fake. 
Okay? It's a humbling discipline that proclaims that he is gracious. And that's what we see when we first meet Zechariah. He celebrates the graciousness of God. But he's also not without doubt. Okay? Um, as we know, God's grace is an unmerited favor to us. Okay? It, we don't deserve it. Um, we see this unmerited favor when Zechariah encounters Gabriel. He responds with fear and doubt, and God still meets him with grace. I'm kind of like a petty sometimes, I guess is the word. So if somebody, if somebody said, no, you can't do that, I'd be like, okay, fine, I can't, and then walk away. Zachariah's like, God can't do that, and he's like, mm, watch, okay? Uh, just sit back and be quiet and just watch. Watch me work. Um, the thing about God's grace is it's not dependent on our faith, and it's not dependent on our circumstances, it is dependent on God's unchanging character. And we see that in this story as well. After the birth of his son, Zacharias celebrates God's graciousness in his song. Um, he's, it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he worships. And the thing that he says is he acknowledges God's grace and it overflows, that acknowledgement in his heart. Man, God is so gracious to me. It overflows into worship, and it serves as a testimony to those who gathered around him. And um, this is what this season is about for us, okay? Whether we, we feel super grateful or not, we, because of the birth of Christ, and not even just because of the birth of Christ, but because of the promises of God, we can worship him as a testimony to his graciousness, even when we don't feel like it. The other thing that we see with Zechariah is uh, his song shouts God's faithfulness. So later on in his song, Zechariah uses the past tense. A couple examples of that. He says, he has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation. He's talking about Christ, but this is months before Christ is born. Years before Christ starts his ministry, is crucified and raised again. But he's using the past tense. Um, this is a literary device um, to communicate what God said is as good as done. It's as good as done. He has redeemed his people. It hasn't happened yet. But Zechariah adopts a posture that says, no, God is faithful, and if he said it, it's as good as done. Okay? Um, he, his posture reflects confidence in a faithful God. For hundreds of years, the Israelites have anticipated a Savior who will come in strength and power to redeem God's people. And here, Zechariah proclaims that that redemption is as good as done. And he hasn't seen Christ yet. He has not experienced him. Uh, it reminds me of, we listen to a lot of Maverick City in our house. Um, and they have a song called Man of Your Word. And the lyric is, if you said it, we believe it. We have this confidence, you'll finish what you started. Because you're a man of your word. And that's what Zechariah proclaims. Um, and... What we, what we see, he goes into his song and it captures the heart of salvation for a people who've been eagerly awaiting Messiah. 
This song captures the joy and gladness of knowing the Lord. This song captures uh, the reality that we will have deliverance from our enemies, both our spiritual and our physical enemies. God will mercifully intervene in our lives. God will forgive our sins. God will be a light to those trapped in darkness. God will guide us through his Holy Spirit. And those things are as good as done. Okay. So as we enter into the season of Advent, um, Zachariah's song can help us posture our hearts as well. So he adopts a posture that celebrates God's graciousness and shouts of his faith- faithfulness. We can adopt that same posture. Okay. Zachariah's song reminds us of three things. One, to trust that God remembers us. Two, to hope in God's word. And three, to embrace the centrality of Christ. Here's the thing. So I called, I mean, it's a little late to tell you what I'm calling it, but it's God remembers. Uh, That's what Zachariah means. His name means God remembers. Like, look at those extra layers of, I I mean, I get it because I would have doubted too, but how could this man doubt what the angel said? His name means God remembers. He's participating in, in the act of burning incense to tell the people God hears our prayers. And the angel meets him and said, God has heard your prayers. And he's like, no, he hasn't. How? How could this happen? Um, his response to the Lord uh, it reminds us and encourages us to trust that God remembers us. He prayed for decades for a son, but beyond that, his people prayed for generations for a savior. Generations. Whole families came and went, still uttering the same prayer. Lord, save us. Free us. And... uh, Imagine how forgotten not only Zachariah must have felt, but the Israelites. Generations go by. And I've not, I have not prayed for anything as long as Zachariah has prayed for a child. Nothing. I mean, it would be impossible. I am not 60, so I haven't had enough time to pray for anything as long as Zachariah has prayed for a child. Okay? Um, imagine how forgotten he must have felt. If you extend that, what about the Israelites? They were told generations ago that the Lord would bring a horn of salvation to free them. And then nothing. The clock just keeps ticking by and nothing. While while Zechariah outwardly showed that God hears us, inwardly he doubted. But he shouldn't have because he was in the presence of God. That's where we meet him, in the presence of God, in what's called the holy place. And the significant thing about this, guys, is we, we live in the holy place. The, when Christ was crucified, the veil was torn and the holy place was opened up to all believers. We perpetually are in the presence of a holy God. And God's holiness enables us to trust him, 
which is a really hard thing for me because I think when we hear holiness, we hear like I don't, something like scary. Um, and like, yeah, like we're going to get in trouble or something like that. Um, Jackie Hill Perry talks about God's holiness. And I, I wanted to read this quote to you because it's a, it's a great quote. She says, for me personally, I've read a ton of books about holiness. But one thing that I thought was missing was the beauty of God's holiness and how that's an incentive for my faith. When I thought about that, I realized that my definition of holiness was too small. His holiness is the reason he's trustworthy. She says she, she realized God is without sin, which means he can't sin against me, which means I am able to trust him. He can't sin against me. There's not a single person in your life that you can say that about, but God cannot sin against you. It's impossible, which means God is trustworthy. And the fact that we're in his presence, in the holy place, reminds us that he is trustworthy. And if we doubt his holiness, you guys, we just have to look to the cross The cross was necessary because God is holy. And because God is holy, he made a way to redeem our sin so that we could be allowed in his presence. Okay, so in this Advent season, it's it's kind of a wild thing because we're celebrating the birth of this baby, but we're also looking to the cross. The fact that the cross exists means that we can trust God, that this baby, I mean, this is what Zachariah had to do. Zachariah is talking about a, a savior who's a horn of salvation, who frees us from the hands of our enemies, and then a few months later, a baby's born. I mean, my daughter's freakishly strong, but she's not a horn of salvation. <laughs> she can't lift her head up by herself, okay? Um, so can you imagine Zachariah proclaiming that it is as good as done, and then laying eyes on an infant. I actually wonder if he laid eyes on him. I would guarantee he never saw Christ's ministry. He would have been 90. I don't think he saw it. He did not live to see Christ uh, heal people. Right? But looking at this baby, he was able to trust the Lord because God can't sin against you. He's holy, and he knew God's holiness. The other thing that Zachariah's song uh, reminds us to do is hope in God's word. Um, A couple things here that I think are super interesting. After John's born, it says that he he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. It made me think, Did Zechariah even raise this child? He prayed for decades. The Lord says, I'm going to answer your prayer and give you a son. And he probably didn't even raise him. John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. There's no indication that Zechariah and Elizabeth raised this child that they earnestly prayed for. Can you imagine that? God answered, you're like, yes, God's answered my prayers. And he's like, all right, send the baby away. But Zachariah still hopes in the word of God. 
Okay. An interesting thing about Zechariah, though, is he's waited for a savior far longer than he's waited for a son. As a man of faith, as a priest and an Israelite, he longed for a savior much longer than he longed for John. Okay. But when we leave Zechariah, as I said, the savior hasn't come yet. And he's still filled with gladness because he hopes in the word of God. If God said it, I believe it. It is as good as done. Band, you can come on up. The last thing here is uh, Zachariah's posture, his song, reminds us to embrace the centrality of Christ. The first thing Zachariah did after he got his voice back and this son he's waited for was born, you know the first thing he does? He sings about Jesus. He doesn't say anything about his own son first. He focuses on Christ. Okay? Which is mind-boggling for me because if I, I talk a lot, and if I couldn't talk for nine months, I'd have a whole host of things to say. <laughs> I wouldn't be about Jesus first. I mean, I have to admit it, but this is what he does. After for a child to be conceived and nine months of waiting for his child to be born, he sings about another child. When my daughter was born, I didn't care that anyone else in the world had babies. They did not matter. They're not as cute as her. Every day I say... Who's the cutest girl in the world? But I usually do it when I'm like undoing her swaddle. Because you know babies, you undo their swaddle and they go. And I'm like, yeah, you are. <laughs> um, I didn't care. But what Zachariah does is he sings about Jesus. This is because Zachariah knows that Christ's birth means a new kingdom is coming. He knows it because God said it. He knows that it's going to be a kingdom marked by freedom, holiness, joy, and gladness. He knows it because God said it. He knows that the birth of Christ marks new life for all mankind because God said it does. And his recognition of Christ's, Christ's centrality, that's my girl, his recognition of Christ's centrality fuels his worship. I know a lot of people are maybe in that in-between time when you've longed for something, you've prayed for something, you've waited for something, and it has not come to pass. And I think very likely we could hear the story of Zachariah and, and say, but he got the son he wanted. But like I said, when you look at the story, it is nothing like he wanted. Who wants to have a child in their 60s? It's hard enough to have a child in your 30s. <laughs> Who wants to, to give birth to a child and not raise them? His experience was still full of a lot of loss. Um, my, I was telling my friend after my daughter was born, I am so grateful that she's here. She is such a gift. And I... I mean, I cried in the hospital for a lot of reasons, the pain being one of them. But the other thing I cried about is this realization that she 
would never meet my mom and dad, and my mom and dad would never meet her, and I'm confident they would be obsessed with her. <laughs> um, but, there, I mean, the birth of my daughter was glorious and filled with a lot of loss. And I think for many of us, we can be in this season where we're still anticipating, we're still wanting, and there's this tension. There's this tension here because God's present with us, but we still suffer. And I think one of the things we can very practically do today to posture our hearts, to trust that God remembers us, to hope in his word and to embrace his centrality is by going to the table. Because this is, this is a table of Advent. It's a table of reflection and expectation. When we partake of the elements, we reflect on the fact that God fulfills his promises. That centuries ago, he spoke of a savior and that we get to celebrate the birth of that savior in this season. We also adopt this hopeful expectation, even if your hope is so meager, so weak, we adopt this hopeful expectation as we hold these elements that Christ will come again. The, the bread representing his body, it is, it is a flimsy representation compared to being in the presence of God. And as God changed my song before, um, the presence of God that we experience now is good. But in the kingdom of heaven, it will be extraordinary. And so as we hold those elements, we expect that. And so as someone who didn't celebrate Advent, I am darn excited <laughs> to be in it. It's good. I'm, I'm somebody who, Pat says that I pre-mourn things. It's kind of a joke that we have. Um, it's like, why mourn things after they happen when you can mourn them before they might potentially happen? <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really not good at this reflection and expectation. But we pray for our, our girl every night. And every night I have to remind myself um, that the Lord has done so much in her life already. I met with my therapist recently and just talking about how anxious I am about, you know, anything could go wrong with her. And she said, well, what was it like? Like, holding her for the first time, was it everything you imagined? And I said, no. It's, I, I will tell you guys this. Um, I used to, when I was pregnant not that long ago, I would stand up here and I would sob during worship not because I was overcome by the presence of God, but because I was 100% convinced that Colette was going to be stillborn. Every single week, I asked Pat multiple times, do you think she's going to make it? I had no hope that what he said was as good as done. So I told my therapist, no, it's not what I imagined. <laughs> I did not imagine holding her. And it got dicey at birth, in births in some, some places, right as I was, I was pushing the nurse, one nurse said to the other nurse, should we call the NICU team in? And I just went, I did not hear that. I did not hear that. 
And so when I hold her, it was not, when I held her, it was nothing like I imagined. And I think that, I, I mean, I'm standing before you saying, I have a terribly hard time reflecting on the goodness of God and anticipating his greatness. But today I invite you guys to come to the table with me and let's do that together. So the band's gonna play behind us and go ahead and grab the elements. We have tables at the back and then two at the side. This front one has wine. Um, and come back to your seat and we'll take the elements together. When uh, Jesus was on the cross, one of the thieves said to him, uh, remember me uh, when you come into your kingdom. There's this amazing thing of reflecting and expectation that Alex has taken us through. And, um, and we hold in our hands a very tangible expression of every time we gather and we take this meal, we remember that he remembers us. He remembers us to the extent that he broke his body for our wholeness. So let's take and eat. to remember that he shed his blood to pay for the penalty of our sins and break the power of our sins. Let's take and drink. And we participate in this meal in two ways. There is this reflection. There's also this expectation of him returning. And Advent is this weird reality where we remember the baby born in a manger yet we have an expectation of the line of the tribe of Judah coming to judge the living and the dead and one of the privileges we have as children of God is that we do not have to worry about that there is no sense of fear in our expectation there is a sense of deep joy and this morning um, I feel like there are two groups of people that I would love to pray for. The one is where you feel that you've been forgotten by God. In a general sense. The thief says, remember me in your kingdom. And when you think about where you are in the context of your life and your circumstances, there's the sense of like, God, do you even know what's happening? Do you know where I am? And the second group of people I would love to pray for this morning are those that have actually, unlike Zechariah, have stopped praying for whatever it is. Like Alex said, maybe you prayed every day. Now you're praying maybe every week, every month. Now maybe it's a sense of like, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Maybe you're praying for someone's salvation. Maybe you're praying for someone's healing. Maybe you're praying, even as Alex was saying, like Zechariah, for a, a child. Whatever that is, I would love to pray for you. To my left, your right are going to be people. We're going to sing another song, and then we're going to land this morning. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the way in which you consistently show us 
that you are who you say you are, you will do what you said you were going to do. Thank you that we can have full trust in your nature. But thank you, God, in the meantime, when things don't work out the way we expect them or take longer than we expect them, we know this, that you are unshakable. And we reflect on your goodness and on your kindness in the midst of our pain and unmet expectations. We know that you are good. We know that you are kind. And we know that because of the cross. We worship you, King Jesus. We long for your return. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, church, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Church, it has been uh, great to be with you this morning. We are officially going to kind of close down the, the, the gathering here. There's people to my left, to your right. Um, if you need prayer, if you need a reminder of the forgiveness of your sins, which I just read about, that's also a done deal. Uh, not just the things that we hope for or pray for, but that's literally what he just said, that John, which by the way means God is gracious. So Zechariah means the Lord, Lord will remember. And John, he said, his name's John. God is gracious. That John would be one that would point people to the fact that the Savior is coming because of the tender mercies of our God, that your, your sins are forgiven. If you need prayer this morning, receive prayer. Uh, the band's going to continue to vamp. We're, we're officially done, uh, although the party kind of keeps going out in the back. There's uh, coffee and uh, donuts. We'd love to, uh, to meet you, say hi. And then there's Let's Do Lunch uh, a, a, little, a little bit later. So go out and be the church. We love you. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.